Good afternoon. This is part 10 of the teaching series that I'm doing on Ephesians. And last week we started into chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. And we're going to continuing that probably for a couple of weeks now. Um, but I want, before we start into this week's episode, I want to uh, give a review of last week's. To, it ties right into helping understand this week's here. And we looked at chapter 1. Uh, verse 7 through 10, where Paul talks about that, that God is being, has made known the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And this mystery is not something God is trying to keep a secret, but it was a divine secret that was hidden in the heart of God. Uh, it was not fully disclosed in the past in the Old Testament, but in Christ, he's revealing a fuller picture of what God's purposed all along in Christ before time. And so Paul uh, starts to unpack some of that in the beginnings of chapter Two verse one through ten, and and in verse eleven through twenty-two, we're looking. More, we're going to unpack some more what that mystery is, and then it goes into chapter three also, where Paul talks even more about the fullness of what this mystery means. And Paul, in verse eleven of chapter two, singles out the Gentiles. The church has been is made up of Gentiles and and Jewish people, and he singles out the the Gentiles and makes a point to talk about remember who you were. Now, they're reading this in church for the first time. Both Gentiles and Jews are hearing it. And Paul's wanting each uh, each each one of those uh, groups of people to hear this, what he's about to say. And it means something specific to each one of them and how they're going to respond to what the mystery is being, being revealed is. And he's talking about who you were as Gentiles. He says, you were one time, you were aliens and strangers of, 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 of the promises, the covenants of the promise, a part of the co- covenant uh, Commonwealth of Israel, you were—you had no hope. You were—you had—and you, you were without God in the world. That's who you were before Christ came. And then he said, "You were strangers and aliens." So this is how the Jews saw the Gentiles, and this is how the Gentiles saw that the thought the Jews saw them as as, as disconnected, no part of God, and what God had purposed with Israel. And with Paul saying, he says in verse thirteen, he says, "But now." But now in Christ, you were once you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is saying that you Gentiles were far off; you were disconnected from God. But now, you have been brought near because of Christ. See, they were outside God's promises, and but not anymore. They've been brought near, and they share in the covenant promises that are provided in Christ's blood. They are no longer strangers to God, and no longer void of God. But but they're recognized as members of God's household having communion with him, and having all the privileges of a citizen of God's community. Now, Paul's saying this for the sake of the Gentiles and the Jewish believers there in this ch- in the church there. He's telling the believers, you should no longer see or call yourselves by that previous description. You believing Jews, you should no longer see these Gentiles by this, by this, by this old uh, version of what, who they were. Because right now in Christ, they are like you. They're in God's community. They're part of God's household. So both Jews and Gentiles should see each other as kin of the same family related by the blood of Christ. This was to, was going to be an, would, would make an impact on both Jews and Gentiles, and how they how they viewed themselves and in each other. This is part of the mystery Paul's talking about that's been revealed in Christ. Christ died for the salvation of men, but more than that, he's also talking about bringing together people united in in Christ as members of his household. So Paul is telling them and us that. 
This has been God's intent all along. This was a part of God's original plan, part of his original promise that he made to Abraham that through his offspring, and Paul interprets that as that offspring being Christ, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And we looked at Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, where it talks about, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Here's God's intent all along. God's intent was never just to show favor to and to redeem only one ethnically pure group of people, the Jewish people. And it was not just to give them a piece of land, a piece of dirt. See, the people and the land were not the end goal, but a shadow of a greater end and reality that we see that's in Christ. See, the believing Gentiles are now equal partners with believing Jews in God's covenant plans. This, this would have been glorious news, unbelievable news for the Gentiles. And it would have been something that would have probably shocked the Jewish readers at that, that, in that time frame. But Paul is calling them to see what God was, had God's intention was all along. It was hidden in times past, but now in Christ it's being revealed. So now let's look at verses 14 through 17 of chapter 2 and see more of the mystery that was hidden in times past, but now is being revealed in Christ, what Paul is writing about there. It's verse 14 in chapter 2. For he himself, the being Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. Here he's talking about Jesus is our peace. He's made both, meaning both Jews and Gentiles, he's made them both one. So he's talking about this ongoing, this further understanding of what, what I just shared as a review of last week. Here he's, he's starting to talk about still he's, he's singling out the separate ones to under, help them understand to become one. And to not just understand that, but become in, in a living reality, the one new man that Paul mentions in verse 15. And there's a sense of unity uh, between both of them as it being one people together. And so how is this possible? Well, Paul tells us in verse, in verse uh, 14 that Jesus, or himself, Jesus is our peace. So what does he mean by peace? What's he talking about? Is he saying, is writing to them? But he's, it's, this is pertinent for us in our day also. So what is peace? It's the end of hostility. It's the end of strife and havoc and rage. And, there's, and peace is, is a sense of tranquility and harmony and security and contentment in every area of life and relationships. And he's saying Jesus is the end of our hostility. Jesus is the end of our strife. He's the source of our tranquility and our harmony, security, and contentment in our life and our relationships. So that's what he's saying. It's peace. In fact, here in these, the four verses I read, verses 14 through 17, peace is repeated four times. So there's a significance about this word peace, and Paul contrasts it with, with hostility. See, the revelation of this mystery, the revealing of who they are, both now members together of God's household, there should be peace, not hostility. 
And he actually uses the word one three times in these four verses. And he's contrasting that between division, unity and division. He's saying there should no longer be any division. See, Paul takes this this division and hostility topic that they were dealing with, he takes it head on and he gives them answers. He gives them and us answers how to deal with the hostility sometimes that comes between brothers and sisters. Uh, in Christ. Now, you may think, like, really, that happens? Yes, it does. It did then. There's no different than now. There's nothing new under the sun. As long as we live in these bodies as humans, there will be some opportunity for us to end up being uh, upset with others and disagreements happen. But how do we deal with those things? And how do we walk in unity and, and as one, one new man in Christ? Well, the answer is Jesus is our peace. Colossians 1 Uh, verse 19 through 20. Uh, I'm going to read there, and it says, For in him, meaning in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What has God done to make, make peace possible with us and God and with each other? The shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross See, God brings an end to separation and strife between him and us. He he provided that. He brings an end to internal strife, and he brings internal harmony to our life. But he also brings an end to strife and separation between people. In this case, it's a reference to, to, to believers. And he brings harmony between them. And we, we when we come to Christ and we see Christ in that we that we have no right to claim any work or be, as Paul talks about in chapter 2 uh, earlier that no no man can boast it, this is all about grace and the grace and the forgiveness that's been shown us by God should be what we should be living like in in, in uh, showing each other as followers of Christ in verse 14 there in chapter 2 Paul also says that what Jesus has done, he has made the two one. I mean, he made both Jew and Gentile as as joined as, together as one. And that word uh, made there is the, is, the, is the root word for the word workmanship, which we read earlier in chapter 2, verse 10, where, where it says in, in verse 10, it says, For we his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship is the same word we get also get word poem from. And that word when he says God Jesus has made the two one, the word made is a root word for that word workmanship or poem. And so he, so God is the poet. He's the one who creates who we are as individuals, but also together as one. Christ makes us one, unified as one people, as one new man. And he calls us to walk in them with him. See, this is part of the work, is to live out this life of being made one in Christ together with our brothers and sisters. And here he's talking to Jew and Gentile, but it can be across social uh, divide, uh, 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 economic divide, racial divide. It doesn't matter. We have to come to a place of understanding that Christ has made us one in himself. He did that. And he's the only one who can create this and bring rhythm and harmony to the previous two that were hostile to each other. And so the same thing is when, when, when there is this hostility or division and there's peace to be, to be needing to be found, it can only be found when both go to Christ. 
and recognize who he is, who they are because of him, and who each other are because of him, and then in turn uh, find harmony in Christ. And so he's made us both one. And this doesn't, doesn't end there. What's another thing that verse 14 says? It says that uh, Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, he's talking about this pestilence. It's something that's already done. It's broken down. And when he's talking about broken down, he's talking about it means destroyed, demolished, to tear down a wall or a barrier that kept people apart. Now, what's this dividing wall of hostility? Now, there's, there's a variety of ideas that people have uh, shared about this regarding what this dividing wall is. And some think it's it speaks of the middle wall there's a, that was a barrier be, uh, that was constructed between the inner and outer courts of the, of the physical temple that was in Jerusalem, right? And it had notes on it, fixed to it, that stated and warned the Gentiles not to proceed any further on on, on uh, the potential of having uh, of dying. And and so it that Paul might have been might have been speaking about that physical wall, but I, I think like a lot of others, uh, the, the 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 commentaries talk about this as I think the same way is that Paul was using that image of that natural wall that was in the temple that divided the two and created this barrier of hostility in a physical way was as he uses this as a picture of an internal wall or barrier that the Jews erected and that the Gentiles recognized it helps to solidify uh, this this strife and, and hostility and division that was between them. They saw the physical wall, but there was when that sh- when, when when people put up uh, when neighbors put up a fence between themselves to keep each other apart. The one that creates the fence um, it, it maybe have the hostility, but the other one then feels the tension there, and the two are, are partners in that hostility and that division and strife. Well, that, that physical wall, Paul, I think, was really talking about the, the, the inner wall because that's even more important because the physical wall, even though they're not around it, they could be out in the public and there is an internal wall that's been erected because of that physical wall. It could be racial, it could be social, it could be cultural, it could be gender, it could be generational, it could be denominational. And all these things can be internal walls that are erected and hold each other apart. And, and, and there, there's... There are either ones we, we erect and we put up ourselves, but there's also the ones we other, we allow others to erect that we recognize and they solidify a wall inside of us too, even though we've not put the wall up. But we recognize it and we take part in it also. Either way, there's a wall that's, that, that divides us. And Paul's talking about Jesus is king and he came to destroy that wall. He came to uh, broke it down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. He was not talking about a physical wall because it still stood. He was talking about something different. He was talking about something internally that we erect or recognize and maintain and keep and, and, um, and maintain it long term sometimes. Just as the Jews and the Gentiles had done for many generations. Then we see in verse 15, Paul talks about how Jesus broke down that dividing wall of hostility. He did it by, uh, he says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He did not just uh, abolish the hostility uh, or tell them to stop being, uh, being hostile towards each other, but he abolished 
the source, the law of commandments. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's start with the word abolish first. First of all, that word in the Greek does not mean to get rid of or to throw it out. It means to make ineffective or powerless or to make something inoperative. So Jesus Christ broke down or destroyed the barrier of hostility by making the law inoperative. So you had a Mosaic law that had these holiness codes, these regulations with fine print and man-made traditions that made it all impossible, all but impossible, for for Jews to live in close proximity with Gentiles so they would be so they could keep pure in body and soul. See, the law of commandments was was transcended and replaced by the conditions of this new creation and the corresponding uh, uh, covenant that that Christ inaugurated. See, the law and the commandments was never going to bring about this new man that God intentioned from the very beginning. It would reveal our need for the cross and our need for Jesus to bring about that unity in that one new man. And now let's look at verse 15 through 16 again. What, you know, why does Jesus destroy the barrier and why does he make the law inoperative? What was his purpose in doing that? In verse 15, it says, to create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, he created in himself one new man in the place of two. These two separate groups of people, instead of continuing with two separate groups of people with a long history of animosity and suspicion and division, he made peace. In verse 15, it says, He created in himself one new man. Well, there's this word create and this word new. What's this word create mean here? It means to fabricate. So uh, he, God, fabricated. He made. He created. This, this is the same word that's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where we his, are his workmanship created, fabricated in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 1.16, it says, for by him, meaning Christ, all things were created, fabricated in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were fabricated or created through him and for him. This word uh, created there is almost exclusively used of God as something only he can do. So when you start, Paul's writing about it, and it's this word is unique in that it is exclusively almost used for, exclusively for God and what he can do and he alone can do. And when he creates something, he says he creates it in himself and he creates it for himself. Now, how do you feel about something that you create? How do I feel when I create, I do woodworking, I create these things. I get very meticulous about it. There's some. There's something in my mind's eye. I have this vision of where I'm, what I'm doing, and what I'm creating, and I and I take great pleasure in and and enjoy that process of creating. But and when it's all done, I, I look on it and I, I want to care for it, maintain it, and I want others to respect what I've made and created and seen and see it is with the same uh, eyes that I see it as. What do you think, God, our Creator? thinks of when he thinks of uh, sees uh, the creation us as individuals but even more so what he did in Christ he had Christ die for the sake of creating this one new man 
See, Paul, Paul is revealing this mystery. It's not just about us having, like we in our American culture, and I don't know if there are others maybe hearing me online, but I think of within my own culture here within America, uh, that the, the, the sense of individuality, like God created me and the focus is on me as an individual alone, or even we think of that as our, our own uh, institutional church that we're a part of, and we see that as God creating and not seeing the bigger picture that in Christ God created all believers to be one new man, unified in Christ and created by him for him. Here's the revelation, here's the mystery being made known to us, and, he, and he's trying to get them as readers then and us right now as we read this to start to see things from God's perspective and the pleasure and delight he took in creating us. And what it took to, to create us, Christ giving his life on a cross, was not just to forgive us, but to creating him, one new man, who would then walk in these uh, good works that God created for us to walk in what we were created for as a people together as one new man. I hope this is shaking up your heart and what you, how you think and see others, other churches, other uh, believers, uh, those that you may have uh, different beliefs in, but we're both followers of Christ. We're called to see ourselves differently. That's why Paul singles out the Gentiles for the Jews and Gentiles to see this this division, this this animosity, the, the 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 dividing wall that's been erected internally to them. That Christ died to break that, destroy that, and to make peace. That we become one new man. This was God's intent. This is God's desire. This is God's pleasure, and He wants us to see it. Paul sees it. He understands it, and he wants the church to see it so they can live out this purpose that God had in Christ all along. And he says, he says, he says one new man. It doesn't, it doesn't mean something like in time frame. He's talking about brand new in character and quality, something was never before. And so uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is another time we see the word new. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The Behold, the new has come. Galatians 6, 15 through 16, it says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, rule to the Israel of God. So God takes these two separate groups, believing Jews and believing Gentiles, and does what only he can do, and what only he can fabricate, a whole new single entity, one new man, one new humanity. See, believing Jews and believing Gentiles are no longer identified by ethnicity, but by being in Christ together as a whole new single identity. Now that might see what may ask. Well, does that mean we 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 uh, we uh, lose our ethnicity? No. I mean, we read earlier in Revelation chapter five, verse nine. It says, "Heaven has people from every tongue, tribe, na- uh, uh, tongue, tribe, people, and nation." So there's going to still be the ethnicity in, in who we are, but we have to see beyond that to see that we are one new man in Christ. But this also means something. This means that any non-believing Jew or non-believing Gentile is not a part of this new man. So what besides forgiveness of sin did Jesus die for? To join together 
two great divisions of humankind into one. Here is is one of the parts of the mystery that was hidden in God, but now was being revealed in Christ, the one new man. And I ask you, think about this. Think about that within your own church community. How is this uh, one new man that was created in Christ Jesus to, to, to bridge the divide, to make that one new man, how is it doing uh, in our day right now, some 2,000 years after the writing of, of Paul's writing and revealing the purposes of God? If you, if you think about it, it's not doing much better than it was during their time. But the reality is we're called to live this out. Paul's writing for them, uh, saying that, well, actually, let's read verse chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Um, there's something we can count. Even though we don't see it in reality right now in ourselves. sometimes we get discouraged by reading this and seeing what the world is like, what the, well, not the world, but the, the church is like within the world. It's not living up to this, this creation that's in Christ. But there's something we can count on, and that's chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Where Paul writes, making known to us, God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in things in heaven and things in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In spite of what we see today and what we look at and saying what Paul wrote then to them, then and the, them in their, their day, the, the, the church of Ephesus, and if he were to write to us today, it would be no different. He would be putting it within the context of our life. There's one new man that was created in Christ. He, he died to demolish, to, to destroy that, that barrier, that internal barrier that we put up. And we're called to tear those things down. Don't recognize them. We're called to go beyond them and become one new man in Christ. But in spite of what we see today, God's going to bring, when he says, um, actually what Paul writes in 9 through 11, God's going to bring forth one new man made of both Jews and Gentiles in the fullness of time, united under Christ, submissive to his rule and his reign. You see, Paul, Paul, got, under, God, Paul got a revelation of these, this is the eternal purpose that God had in Christ. And, and Paul could see beyond the current reality and, and that, that, that the God's kingdom reality was going to come to pass. What God purposed in Christ was going to, to, be, to find its fulfillment and a f- fulfillment in the fullness of time. Now, Paul is writing it to the, the church there, but he's also writing it to us here for us to understand and that we could take on God's perspective and see beyond the current reality to God's kingdom reality, that he's purposed in Christ, and that we're called to pursue, to live this, this one new man out within our day. Now, it doesn't matter, like for them, it was, it was this dividing wall of hostility that came from them being Jews and Gentiles. And that, that, that wall that was uh, physically erected was also uh, erected internally in them. And that was keeping them divided and becoming that one new man. But for our day, it could be racial, it could be social, it could be cultural, it could be gender, it could be generational, it could be denomination, it could be different churches. But there's these internal walls. We have to take on God's perspective. And these internal walls need to be brought down, be torn down, not physical walls, but internal walls. That we need to be able to walk this out and live this out 
more and more as a reality, looking towards God's end, his fullness of time, knowing that he is going to have this complete at some point between now and then, we are called to give our heart to pursue all that Christ died for us for. He didn't die just to give us forgiveness of sins, but that this would become a living reality that we can enjoy the peace. He's our peace to all that hostility. That we can become that one new man and enjoy the full purpose of what God has for the body of Christ. Now, I want to challenge you as uh, as we close this this uh, episode today. Uh, is think about this. Think beyond your own salvation and think beyond your own life and to see God's perspective and let that perspective, that understanding that God purposed for us to be one one people, one new man. Yes, we have our ethnicity. We have our difference in ages and generations and culture. All those are fine. But within that, there's one new man in Christ. And ask God to to give you a deeper revelation. That's why Paul prayed that prayer, that we have wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And we would know the, the hope that we're called to. This is the hope. God's purpose in Christ that this hope of one new man it's going to happen when he returns. It'll come, it'll come in its fullness. But between now and then, we're called to be to live this kind of life out by the power of his Spirit. And I pray that, that God would stir your heart to all that he's purposed in Christ, beyond just your own personal salvation, beyond just your personal church that you're part of, to see the body of Christ in light of who they are in Christ. Until next week, God bless.